Hello, welcome to uh, Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Bravlick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast as we close in on to the end of 2023, and it, it, which has been the year of parliamentary inquiries into people who drive calculators or thereabouts. Uh, both the Commonwealth Parliament and New South Wales Parliament have had inquiries into what I what I call over over glorified calculators, they would call accounting firms and global consulting firms, who've been involved in doing a lot of consulting with government. The uh, the two inquiries have been running in parallel, not necessarily uh, having the same issues heard at the same time, but there's a lot of ground that they've covered that is similar. Now, the chair of the New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry uh, is the Upper House Member for the Australian Greens, Abigail Boyd, and she'll, she'll take us through you know, what she, in hindsight, thinks has been the productive parts of the committee's work and where things are likely to head in 2024. Abigail, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, um, it, we first spoke a while ago, and it wasn't long after you began doing the inquiry. Um, was partly inspired by all the recovery over PwC and, and the national level, and then other things in New South Wales. Given the benefit of hindsight, looking in the rearview vision mirror, um, what uh, what are the core themes that still stick strongly with you? Uh, given the, the length of time you've now looked at it and had time to, to reflect and consider things? So I think it's a really good question. I think that I think last time we, we spoke, I talked about this as well, that there's this, this continual reliance on the rules as though that is going to solve all of the problems in the consulting industry. So we have... Um, We've now got up to, I think we've had 10 hearing days um, and every single hearing that we've had, we've uncovered more conflicts of interest. Uh, we've uncovered more, um, you know, questionable um, uh, use of consultants uh, to the extent that now I think that the uh, the Labor government are a bit embarrassed and would rather that we stop. Um, we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but the standard response we get from government uh, and even this new government uh, in relation to an inquiry, actually, that we made just a month ago, um, is that all of the rules are complied with. So when I ask them, for example, um, how come the New South Wales government used PwC to assess um, the value of a unsolicited tender from Transurban when PwC was also Transurban's auditors? Um, and had been involved in that, um, you know, putting forward that unsolicited tender, uh, the response I get back is, oh, we followed all the rules. Uh, you know, a confidentiality agreement was was signed. Um, we were promised that they, you know, internally the organisation had put up these, um, these so-called, you know, ethics walls, whatever they're calling them now. Um, and so everything's um, they, they were, um, yeah, I think they were called Chinese walls at one stage. They were. And now I think we're saying ethical walls or something. I don't know. But you get the point. Um, and so there's a real reliance on we've ticked all those boxes. Well, they yeah, said they we, would be ethical. Isn't there some organisation that has sort of sterile corridors or something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
we shouldn't <laughs> well but okay the so those lasting themes of you know the conflict management and other things is still there yeah and there's no there's no holding account there's no there's no real transparency and there's certainly no um consequences for any breach um of ethics by these consulting firms okay where are you at in terms of getting the government to think about actual reforms to processes so we're going to move we were going to do an interim report and continue to look um at each department within the New South Wales government because there is so much still to dig up. Um, but as I hinted at before, the Labor government's gone a bit cold on us. Uh, so we're now looking at doing our final report after our final hearing in um, February next year. Um, and so I do think that the government has good intentions to implement uh, a bunch of those um, recommendations yeah. that I think we will release. Um, but I think they've also taken that view of, yeah, thanks, we get the problems, we'll go off and deal with it now, um, out of sight of the public. So, yeah, so yeah. we've, I think we'll get to about 20 odd um, sort of core recommendations around transparency um, and accountability primarily. Uh, but yeah, we we will wait and see what uh, what the government does. Now, you're, you're, clearly you've wanted to delve a bit further and people are wanting to truncate the this particular examination. However, um, the principle's been set, uh, the curiosity is clear. Isn't it also open for you to continue to pursue the themes through estimates processes going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And we did. We took the opportunity in the October-November budget estimates to do just that, which is where we came up with this uh, this latest transurban PwC example. Um, we we will continue to um, to pressure and to push. Um, we're certainly not going to let it go. And I think that all the time that these consulting firms are effectively fulfilling a core government function in many cases, they need to be held accountable to the parliament. Uh, and so we're going to be pushing very hard to try and, you know, make it um, a bit more common uh, for these consulting firms to have to front up and answer questions. Um, to what extent, I, mean, I guess in estimates, you've got the you have a limitation, don't you, in that you can only get to the bureaucrats that engage. Um, have you inquired into whether it's possible somehow for you to be in a position to, for, for pro estimates processes to be altered so that um, consultants can be brought before estimates. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, I, I mean, anything is possible. I think it'd be quite unusual. But again, if we're going to treat these people, particularly those who are so embedded in a government department from a consulting firm, if we're going to, if we're going to accept that they are doing as I said before, that sort of core government work, maybe it does make sense to to treat them like a bureaucrat in that way. Um, I think we would have more 
luck if we perhaps set up a different type of process where, for example, we had um, the major firms or at least those who benefit from um, the um, liability insurance cap under New South Wales legislation, if we could have them coming in uh, once a year, say, to answer our questions, I think that'd be a really good start. Um, but I suspect that would be easier than the estimates process where effectively the minister is intended to, you know, call the shots as to who gets called. You see not, you see not another uh, thing that could possibly be um, done in parliaments uh, across the country, particularly yours. Um, professional organisations have recognition in law. Accounting bodies have recognition in law at a Commonwealth and state level, depending on which act it happens to be. Um, would you entertain the possibility of having the professional bodies before the parliament on a regular basis to demonstrate why they're fit and proper to continue to hold legislative recognition um, in you know, acts of parliament of, of, of the state particularly. That's another interesting suggestion, I think. I think um, so too. Yeah, <laughs> it was yours. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's um I think it would be interesting um I wonder how, how useful it would be in terms of the answers that they would give. But I think as a general principle and in terms of accountability, because those those professional bodies are sort of rubber stamping or giving some sort of um, signal to the public that these people are fit and proper. Um, I think it, it does make sense to have those bodies being accountable for the way that they run well, things. They, they, firstly, they... If we break this down, they uh, have individuals who meet certain membership criteria that are given post-nominals. Those post-nominals then, by virtue of them being a member of a body and holding a post-nominal of a particular rank, entitles them, may entitle them to do something under law. For example, signing stat decks. Um, that's a privilege given yes. by lawmakers. Mm. It is not a right. Um, and that is an interesting entry point for the parliament to actually say, how do you guys keep your keep your membership on, the, on their toes? How do you discipline them? How do you do all of this? Um, and, um, I guess, yeah, the question being, is it something that you're prepared to... Uh, to consider as part of the broader range of measures that your parliament could have in place mm. to you know, improve some degree of oversight on the profession. Yeah. No, I think that is definitely worth considering um, and probably something that will make its way in some form into the recommendations in our report. I think it's clear from our inquiry that these issues are not historic and that there is a huge amount of work to do within the parliament and within government 
um, as well as within these professional bodies and these um, consulting firms in cleaning things up and restoring confidence. And that, to me, um, leads itself to then needing to have constant updates. So, I, you know, I would like very much the idea that every year um, we could get these people back in front of us and see where we're at and see if things have improved and what we need to do, you know, going forward. I think they're so embedded in our democracy that having them accountable to Parliament um, on an ongoing basis makes lots of lots of good sense. If we, um, and I realise there's no report we can talk about, but you've obviously got ideas mm. that I'm hoping will find their way out of your brain and onto recording. But <laughs> the, <laughs> um, what are the likely areas that you're going to touch on um with recommendations, so I think there'll be in there'll be in two different um, sort of categories: the the low lying fruit, uh, and then the low hanging fruit, rather, and then the um, the stuff that's harder to grab. So the things that I think we've got more likelihood of getting through, and for the government yeah. to actually pay attention to, um, are things around um, transparency. So and disclosure. So I would like to see, for instance, every time um, a government uh, report is produced, um, to have a statement on it that you know this was produced by a particular consulting firm or with the help of the help of the particular consulting firm, and actually have them list out all of the other um, you know potential conflicts of interest that that firm had in doing that work. That sort of thing, um, yeah. I think, is is really critical. And also a bunch of uh, recommendations around how departments sign off on um, particular uh, consulting work um, and different thresholds for you know for when they they get people involved. Um, and then I I I think another one that I've been sort of banging on about a bit is getting these um, consultants off of government boards. So we still have a huge number of consultants, either current or or former. Um, sitting on our government boards and really pushing consulting work like they're some sort of um, salesman. Um, and I think it's sort of having a blanket exclusion and a blanket exclusion for a bunch of other sort of potential conflicts of interest would be really good as well. Uh, let me, well, let's expand upon that. Um, one of the challenges clearly at the Commonwealth level uh, has been how they deal with, for example, the Tax Practitioners Board and the way in which that's composed. Um, they've come up with some sort of answer. Um, the But one of the things that uh, has from time to time been spoken about as a solution to, to, to the conflict management has been mandating a, uh, a cooling-off period. Mm -hmm. you know, person X leaves... Um, Accounting firm, why? Yeah. Um, and that person could or should be prohibited from sitting on a government board mm -hmm. for, let's say, 12 months yep. so that they have a degree of remoteness from what they've, uh, what they've done in the past. 
mm. um, as opposed to leaving the permit automatically jumping onto something. Mm. Is that the kind of measure you're you're prepared to entertain? I know you, you yeah. said, well, banning them, uh, uh, keeping them off is one thing, but you, you don't necessarily want to, do you? Um, not allow the government to use particular expertise. They would no. It's it's about continuing to have a financial interest. So we actually we gave an amendment along these lines, a bit of a a bit of a trial run. Um, the I don't know if you recall, but you know a lot of the original sort of initial hearings into um, with this inquiry was into the health department um, and all of the different local health districts. Now, there's a lot of consultants sitting on those boards. Uh, we had a kind of miscellaneous health bill come um, to the upper house a couple of months back, and we had an amendment drafted, which was to that effect, basically said um, a current consultant or someone who um, still has a financial interest or has had in the last, I think we said six months, um, could have been 12, uh, is prohibited from being elected to a to a board. So, yeah, absolutely that. Um, we were uh, told that we were being unfair to the consultants uh, with that amendment, but I'm hoping that <laughs> we will get the uh, the attitudes changing eventually um, to that. So it's interesting that the reaction both from the conservative side of politics but also from Labor was that that was a step too far, um, which I found fascinating. Um, but if you entertain the notion of the cooling off period um, that could then translate across the board mm. quite easily, could it not? Mm. Yeah, and I think the um, also the cooling off period between jumping between consulting firms and the government. So, you know, another big theme for us has been just how many consultants um, go straight into government positions quite senior um, or, and also or, how many or government go the or, or the reverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I know that we need to be careful around some of that. And people have said, you know, what about these poor people who can't then get a job for a few months? Um, they can get a job, just not in that particular area. Um, but perhaps we could look at, and a lot of these um, bureaucrats already have quite generous um, sort of severance packages anyway, but perhaps we could look at um, making sure that they are not too unfairly um, dealt with in giving them that or mandating that cool off period. I mean, it's very common in the corporate world to have gardening leave, as they call it, um, so that you don't go straight from one place to another um, and take all of the inside knowledge with you. Or if you do take any knowledge with you, it's not contemporary. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. You know, and that is one of those one of those issues. You want a system that is easily understood, mm. um, kind of difficult to work around if you get managed then. And I think a cooling off period for 12 months is pretty plain. You are yep. not, you're not going anywhere for 12 months, kiddo. Mm. Yep. Buy, buy a fishing rod, <laughs> some bait and sit on a pier, <laughs> the end of a pier for a while. Um, the... <laughs> Um, quite apart from that, uh, some of the um, having monitored some of your committee's work, uh, 
there's been some interesting stuff that's come up. Um, once the final report is out, which I anticipate will probably be, what, March? Mm, yeah, sort of mid next year, probably. April, May. Mid, mid next year. So April, May. April, May is your target. That's lovely. <laughs> the, uh, but the, um, aside from estimates and other exploration, where, where do you take the issues now? I mean, mm. clearly there's a template of, you know, questions you've got, template of things you've looked at. Where do you take it next? Yeah, and it's also coming up in every every inquiry now. Um, now that we know to look for it, we're finding it all over the place. Um, we've got a, there's a new inquiry that's been set up um, by the government that I'm going to be participating in around government procurement. Okay. Um, and that's going to be another area that starts, I think, April next year. So that'll be another area where we can get involved in relation to the consulting work. Um, so there's, yeah, there's going to be opportunities like that. Um, and then I think just continuing, as I say, now that we know where to look, um, continuing to question every every government decision, um, continuing to to get behind the figures in every department um, to work out exactly what's going on. But what I'm hearing from the government at the moment, whispers, uh, is that they've had a good look at it and it's actually really hard to reduce their dependence on uh consulting firms who knew um and so they're uh, they're a bit daunted by the task so we're certainly going to be continuing to um to bash them over the head with it um and that will mean that they have to really ensure that every time they use a consultant they are leaving behind knowledge and training up people in the public sector to reduce that reliance Um, now, in, 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 as chair of the committee, you've had all sorts of things you've had to deal with, mongrels like me and, and a range of other odds and sons. Um, it, 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 what are the, what, and I'm mindful of, of the time and you've been generous with it. Um, the final question, what are some of the, what are some of the sort of curious highlights from the process this year? Um, it's it, it's a very good question. Uh, I, th I thought so. There's been a lot of um, tangents that have been very interesting and have been fruitful in their own way. So I think we discovered, for example, um, a huge amount of contractors. So, you know, not so much your consultant, but your, your contractors being embedded um, huge percentages yeah. of, of these contractors being embedded um, in government departments and again sort of taking information backwards and forwards to their um, to their individual consulting and contracting firms. Um, and then I guess more on the kind of curious side, we've had a lot of um, having to, I guess, mediate between um, people on different sides of particular, Factual debates, shall you call it? So whether it is um, the sort of submissions war we've had between certain people and CANS, um, or between certain <laughs> people and uh, KPMG, um, 
having to, I think there's been more submissions that the committee has had to meet to discuss in detail than I've had on any other inquiry I've been involved in. So um, most of those we have let be published with some, you know, redactions. Um, but some of them that we didn't publish were really fiery. So <laughs> they have been very interesting. Uh, you, you mean there's stuff that you can't tell me about? There's stuff that was never made public. So, um, yes, I cannot tell you about that. Um, unfortunately, I wish I could, and I wish I could share more about um, what's going to end up being in the report as well. But, unfortunately, there's a process we need I'm to I'm more through. interested in the stuff you got that you can't tell me that was fiery. <laughs> Not really useful, very fiery. <laughs> I don't care about useful. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> I've been talking to Abigail Boyd, Upper House Member for the Australian Greens in the New South Wales Parliament. She is, for her sins, the chairperson of a committee looking at government consulting and procurement um, at the present time. Abigail, uh, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you. Thanks for your continuing interest. Oh, pleasure.